if you all would, please take your Bibles and open up to the book of First Chronicles. So it's First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles. And please open up to the chapter 28 and verse number 9. As I said before, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to preach. It's been a, it's been a while since I preached, uh, and so I'm always looking forward to the opportunity. If you know anything about me, the one thing I love to talk is Bible, so I hope that's something I can communicate with you tonight. First Chronicles 28 and verse 9. And thou, Solomon, my son... This is David speaking to his son Solomon. Know thou the Lord God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for bringing us all here to church. And I thank you for your word and Uh, the truths that are out of it. Dear Lord, I ask that you please be with me. Please be with Kyle as we're going to be preaching. Dear Lord, that you would just uh, use us, that we wouldn't be glorified in this, but God, that your word would be lifted up and you would be magnified in this. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to give you a little bit of context to what is this chapter. And we're not going to spend uh, the majority of our time here in chapter 28. We're going to go over to chapter 29, actually, and start reading a little bit of the verses here. But in chapter 23, we begin, David is setting up the kingdom for Solomon coming in. David has now conquered what is all the nations that are around him. There's peace in the land. There's no more fighting. And he's amassed this great sum of money and this great sum of materials to be able to build the temple of God. And David had in his heart, he's, he looked at his kingdom when God had finished uh, giving him all the land that was around him and all this wealth. And David looked and he says, I have all this wealth, I have this house, but there's not a house to be found for the Lord. And he purposed in his heart that he would build it, but God came to him and he said, because you're a man of war and because you have blood on your hands, you won't do it, but I give you a promise that your son will. And so David is getting towards the end of his life and Solomon is is getting to the point where he's going to be raised up to be the new king and David is just thrilled because David always looked beyond what was his circumstance. And we know that he was a man, uh, he, was a, he was a human just as we are. He made wrong choices. But David always looked beyond what, what he could do then. He was always setting up for the, next, uh, for the next generation, you can even say. And so David is just excited about this. And in chapter 29, we have the end of David has numbered the people. He's set chiefs in order. He set priests in order. He set singers and musicians. He has everything set up. And now we reach 29, the last chapter in First Chronicles. And in verse 1, he goes on to say, Furthermore, David, the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom God alone hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold, for the things to be made of gold, for the silver, for the things of silver, and the brass for the things of brass, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, and onyx stones, and stones to be set, glistering, diverse colors, all manner of precious stones, marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I set my affection to the house of 
my God. One thing that we as Christians try and do more than anything else, of course, we try and come to church. We try and give attendance. Uh, we try and give tithes wherever we can. And pastor's always on about the tithing and giving of your offering and making sure that the church building and the things that are in this building can be taken care of. Um, as Christians, we just, we just try and read our Bible. We try and do everything that's right. Um, some of you may know this, but there's something called the five love languages. And these five love languages just basically, um, each of these are supposed to have a source of every way that love can be expressed to somebody. And everybody has a specific way that they like affection show to them. So you have acts of service. It's like taking out the garbage for somebody or doing the, their least favorite chore. You have physical touch. You have words of affirmation, gifts, and quality time. You have these five, and everybody has one that speaks to them most out of anything. And so... You as a person desire to be shown affection in one of these five ways. Acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, and quality time. Now, you have to imagine that if you and I are created in the image of God, that we are created not just physically in his image. We don't just look like God, but there are many other things. We have the same base emotions that God would have, that love and that, and, and a lot of it obviously got away with the fall, but there are a lot of emotions that we even, that transferred from God to us, that we have these emotions, that we have desires that are given even from him. So God is a supreme being who desires a specific way that he wants to be worshipped and adored. And we have David, who is called a man after his own heart. And David says, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, in verse 3 of chapter 29, David is saying that out of everything that I'm doing right now, nothing is because of what I want. In the, in the following in that verse 3, after he says the affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good, gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God. Beyond everything else that has already been given from conquerors and spoils, I have taken from mine own treasury, I have taken from everything that I already have, and I have set it towards the house of God. David was a man after God's own heart. David knew how to worship God. We look at many of these other denominations, and I'm not here to speak bad about any of them, but if you look at Catholics, Methodists, uh, Pentecostals, Mormons, you look at more conservative, more fundamentalist, more liberal in their faith, you look at all these different people that would call themselves a Christian, and their goal is to worship God, but here's the thing, they worship God in the way that they think He wants to be worshipped. We call ourselves Baptists because we believe in the Bible. Everything that we take a stance on in faith and in practice comes out of the Word of God. And we say, we step into church and we're going to worship God. Here's the question, though. Are you worshiping God in the way that He wants to be worshipped? That applies to your house. That applies to the church, that applies to your work, that applies to every single avenue of your life, from the ones that are the leaders of the house to the ones that are following, to the ones that are men, to the ones that are women, to the ones, it doesn't matter who, God desires to be worshipped in a specific way. And I think David 
in this chapter and in his life, at the end of his life, is showing a pattern of how God wants to be worshipped. He says that I've given all these things. I've prepared all these things for the house of my God because of my affection. And then in the end of verse 5, he gives the end of all these things. And he says, who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord. So you have a man who is in charge. You have a person who's in leadership, who is in front of everybody and in front of an entire nation. And he's saying, listen, everybody, I want you to pay attention because Solomon, Solomon, my son, is being set up. And I want you to see everything that I prepared for him. And the work is not for a man. It's for the Lord. And what I'm preparing is not, he's yet young and tender. He's not going to be able to do it. But I want to show you what I've prepared. And then he says this, you don't have to. But what, who then is willing to consecrate this, his service this day unto the Lord? He says, I've prepared all this. I just want to know, is there anybody out there who is after my heart and willing to give to the Lord, to the work of the Lord? Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly. In verse 9, after it gives the list of the things that they had given and to whom they had given it, it says, Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly and with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. So now you have a man who is in leadership. You have, he is, he is set to worship the Lord. He is set to set up his son so that he can worship the Lord. And he says to his nation and to the leaders, he says, is there any man who's going to follow after me in this? And the people said, yes. We're going to give what we have as well and we're going to offer willingly with a perfect heart, with a complete heart that we're not going to hold anything back. And in verse 10. It says, wherefore David blessed the Lord. We think of blessing men, but David blesses the Lord before all the congregation and said, blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in thine in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all, both riches and honor. Come of thee, thou reignest over all. In thine hand is power and might in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all now therefore our god we thank thee and praise thy glorious name but who am i and what is my people that we should be able to offer thee so willingly after this sort for all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee for we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers as our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee and house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and all is thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in my uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now I have seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee and give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep 
keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. And David said to all the congregation, Now bless the Lord your God. And all the congregation blessed the Lord of their fathers and bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord and the king. David gives this prayer in front of all the people. He gives it to the Lord and he's listening. He's listing out all these things. He's saying, Look, Lord, above everything that I've already done, above the people that are offering willingly after the same sort that I am, we're nothing. Anything that we have to give, it was already yours to begin with. Yet we're giving it back willingly. Anything within our hearts has been given to you. It's a perfect heart. And God, I know that you know you try the heart. Because God's not a man who looks on the outward appearance, but He looks on the heart. And David recalls when he was called to be king, and God looked at his heart and said, you're going to be the one. And David says, I know that you try the uprightness of heart. You've tried the uprightness of my heart. You've seen the people that are around me. And you've tried their hearts. And you find that we have offered willingly and with a perfect heart. And God, and David says, now all the congregation, bless the Lord. In verse 25, I want you to see that we've seen what David's heart was. And we see his prayer. We see what the people's response was. But in 25, we see God's response to all this. It says, And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel, and bestowed upon him such royal and majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. God's response to proper worship was to answer the prayer of David. And not only that, for many of us, we know the story of Solomon and what was after and what he would do and the prayer that he would offer up to the Lord, that he would be given wisdom to lead his people and how God would bless him. And the, and the Lord's response to all this was to magnify and lift up Solomon in response to what David's prayer was. What I want us to realize is that the churches that are down the street from us, the, 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 the brother or the sister that's at our workplace that don't, have, that don't claim Baptist but claim another denomination, they're trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do. But what I'm asking today is, can you say that just the same as David, you can go before God and you can go before and you can have that perfect heart and you can have that willingness to offer everything to Him and that God would give you those things that you ask of him and not even asking of him because David's not asking for any personal gain here we can ask so often like God I want you to help me I I want more money God I need to I need the car payment God I need the mortgage God I need this God I need that God help my family and those are not bad prayers by any means God is a father and he wants to take care of us but those prayers that we offer David was offering a prayer not for himself he was offering it for other people he was offering it for the nation and for Solomon coming after him Let's look at the verse that I started off reading. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9. How can we worship God the way that He wants to be worshipped? How can we come into the church building and not just follow a routine? Now, the itinerary that we have with the music and the prayer and the offering and then the preaching, I'm not, I'm not preaching against that. I'm not preaching against the routine in that sort of way. What I'm saying is within our own hearts, from the pastor that stands up here to the people that are sitting in the pews to the, people, to the kids that are in the junior church, what is the heart in what you're doing for the Lord? And, he's, and David's directing his attention to Solomon, his son, and he says, Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. It is everything in our power 
to be able to give everything back to the Lord. There's nothing that lives within our lives that we can't give over to the Lord. We can't say, well, God, there's just this one thing that I just I can't give up because if I give this up, then you know I won't be able to survive. There's nothing in our lives that we could say, God, I just it's just so hard for me to give this up, and if I give it up, I'm so scared that you're not going to be able to take care of this for me because... How many? There's many of us who have been in church for decades. There's many of us who have been raised in the church building. There are many of us sitting here who have been saved maybe just for even a couple of years. And the preaching that we hear in this church building is that God will provide. And that if you surrender those things, we've heard it Sunday after Sunday, surrendering those things to the Lord, that God will take care of you. And yet that perfect heart is not yet perfect. It's not yet completed in the Lord. Your willingness to offer to the Lord is not yet complete. He says, Solomon, serve Him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. And this is the important thing, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. That means anything that goes through our heart, that means that the Lord has already considered it. Because what goes in our heart is what comes out of our mouth. God knows every single thought and the intent of the hearts within us. And sitting within a church building is a perfect thing to do, but if your heart and your imagination when you're sitting in the church pew is surrounding sin, is surrounding things that aren't godly, and it doesn't even need to be anything that's necessarily immoral, but maybe it's just some certain things in your home life situation and you're just like, I don't feel like dwelling on the Lord. And By no means am I I trying to attack or trying to offend anybody for having those weak moments, for having those weak times. But here's what it is, is that the intents of your heart is complete. Just as David was a man after God's own heart and in the uprightness of his heart, he... Even though he made mistakes, even though he had his depressive stages, what did he always do? He always came back to the Lord. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. David's most likely, and, and I don't want to make assumptions about the Scripture, but he's probably recalling the men that came before him. He thought of Saul, and now Saul forsook the Lord. He thought of his unfortunate son Absalom that forsook the Lord. And he's thinking of all these situations that he's seen. And he's thinking within his own life how sometimes he forsook the Lord in his own life. The Lord will put you off. And... But he says, but if, you, but if you seek Him, He'll be found of thee. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If you're saved here today, if you've trusted on Christ as your Savior and you have the Holy Spirit lying with, uh, living within you, there's never, a, there's never a, a, a concern for us that God would entirely leave us, that He's just going to leave us stranded or that we're going to have to burn in hell for our actions. As a Christian, we know that God is always going to be by our side, but so, David is telling Saul, that if you seek after the Lord with that perfect heart and with a willing mind, God's going to test your heart and the imaginations of your heart. And if you seek Him, He'll come to you. If you don't, He'll forsake you. The principle of all this is, in coming to church, are you choosing to worship God in the way that you want to? Are you coming in and you're just saying, well... I I sit here and I listen to the preaching and I pray in my heart once the preaching's done, I make my decision and and I'm and I'm gonna live my Christian life like that. But then I'm gonna I'm gonna go out to my car and I'm gonna go home 
I'm going to watch this television show because the seasons haven't ended and they're coming out with a new season. I want to figure out what's going on next season. You listen to that one specific album that God has dealt with you over years and God has said, can't you just give that up? And you're like, I, I have given it up. It's just I'm in a hard time and, I, and th- these songs really just bring me back to a good place. And you go back to your house and you go into the work site and, and you do all these things that you've been doing as a Christian for so many years because you've decided, well, I, have, I, I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray, but these specific small areas that I have in my life, I'm just going to keep on with those because I'm going to worship the Lord how I want to worship Him. That's the same thing that many other people of other faiths want to say. I'll worship the Lord how I want to worship Him. God doesn't desire what is that lukewarmness out of our Christianity, out of our faith, out of our daily walk with Him. God desires that we would worship Him with a perfect heart. Praise and worship often go hand in hand. Praise is what we often do when we're singing to the Lord. It's, it's that even sometimes in your car, you're just you're raising up your hand and you're praising the Lord. You're singing along with the song. You're blasting it, singing as loud as you can because you just feel like lifting up praise to the Lord. Worship is something that is often much more quiet. It's often something that is not as uh, outshone. In this passage, we see that that worship is outshone, but that worship is something that's a matter of the heart. Do you decide to worship God in the way that you wish you could worship Him because God gives you that grace? Or are you worshiping God the way that He wants to be worshipped? I don't think anybody in this room necessarily needs me to go through a list of how God wants to be worshipped, about how He wants you to talk, how He wants you to think, how He wants you to spend your money, how He wants you to do uh, all X, Y, and Z. I don't think anybody in this building needs me to give that list. I think most of us read our Bible at least just enough to know what decisions we're supposed to make. But what my challenge here today is, are you worshiping God? Just like those five love languages. Oh, I wish my spouse would love me more in this way. I wish he would do this. I wish he would do that. Well, you can say that, but God's sitting up in heaven and he's looking at your Christian walk. He's looking at your relationship with him, which is supposed to be an intimate relationship with him. And he's saying, I just wish you would love me and worship me the way that I want to be worshipped. I still love you, but our relationship, your life here on earth and what is going to come in heaven could be so much better if you would just worship me with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And God, by no means am I trying to state that I'm perfect in preaching this. And God, there's nobody in this building that's perfect. And God, I just ask that you would during this, uh, the rest of our lives, God, that you would just show us how we ought to live and move us towards a complete heart and a perfect heart towards you, that we would worship you how you want to be worshipped. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, everyone. When I was uh, 10 years old, my mom sent me to a um, Methodist 
church. And remember that summer, a very distinct summer in my lifetime, coming to Methodist church. And there, we learned how to uh, to write. And and I learned that. I thought it was really cool. I'll never forget that that summer. That same summer, I went to um, a contemporary church, and uh, it was. They, I learned, this is the first time I ever heard and learned the song, I'm the Lord's Army, you know, I will never ride in the Calvary, right? Right, you guys know the song? And uh, that summer, I even, I went to sailing school, I kind of learned how to sail a boat, I think I needed a refresher course to do it, but I think I could do it, and I remember that was, that was really good. And also that summer, I, uh, my mom sent me to White Oak Baptist Church as a kid, we were going to a congregational church, and that same church with all these vacation Bible schools I went to, uh, I didn't know where I was going, I would die. And uh, I think Miss uh, Raphael Garcia, she showed me from the Bible how I could know for sure I'm going to heaven. And I thank God so much for that, that summer as well, along with all the other fun stuff I did, right, being a kid. I think I was like fifth grade, or going into fifth grade and ten years old. And I thank God so much for that. And it's always such an honor to get up here and to preach, because every time I do, I, I think of that. I think of that time when I was just a little boy. I came to this exact church and how God was with me. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, but I'll never forget that. And so it's, like everyone else says, right, get up here. It really is such an honor to, to, to preach here because who thought some random kid in vacation Bible school would be up here one day, right? Just, you know, nobody from Stratford is up here preaching. God allows us to do that. Today, we're talking about the story of we're going to be in. Judges 13, 14, 15, 16, a couple of verses going through his life there. And uh, I want you all to keep in mind tonight, one, how Samson's life really does parallel to Christian life. A lot of times he gets a lot of bad rap, but it's very similar to the children of Israel as a whole. It's also very similar to our, our own lives. And also along with that, through everything, God is still with Samson. He's still at his power. And uh, if you don't know the story of Samson, just a quick 30-second clip of it. Uh, he was in a time where the Philistines had taken Israel captive. God had anointed this man. He took the Nazarite vow, and he was given super strength as long as his hair was growing and staying long. And uh, his family gave him, dedicated him to the Lord, and that's what he did. And he lived his life, and he didn't really live correctly to God and go through his life at the end. He ends up dying and, and perishing. We'll look at that as well. But it's um, a tragic story, and that brings us to uh, Roman numeral number one. Samson was anointed by God. In Judges 13, 1 through 5, the Bible says this, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so we see here Samson's journey started with being hand-selected by God. 
he was chosen by him to be, and he was to be the deliverer of from Israel for the Philistines, or from out of the Philistines for Israel. And you notice how Israel, and I think this gets overlooked here, but you notice how Israel they were going against God in that moment, right? The reason why they were in captivity, and the Philistines were going over them, the reason why, because the Bible says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But God still, even though they're going against them, he still wanted to help them out, right? He's, he, God is still trying to give them a way out of it. And our journey with God starts at, at salvation, really. I know we're all you know, we're created by God, but we're not all God's children. You become a child of God when you put your faith and trust in, in Christ 100%. That's when you become his child. And that's when our journey starts. And no matter what happens to us on our journey, Right? We can get a drift away from God. We're going to see how Samson drifts away from God. God always wants to help us. You know, right? He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's always there. So Samson's journey starts, really how the Christian journey starts, at salvation for us. For Samson, he was anointed by God. And even though God knows we'll fail him, drift away from him, and even maybe deny him like Peter did, he still took the old rugged cross on the backside of Calvary. Weak as he ever was. And I, I love thinking like this. Right? He thought of Kyle Kadmiev specifically, because it's not a general statement. It's not like, oh, Christ just died for the whole world. But he thought of every specific individual person. I really believe that he did, and it was personal. He knew, hey, Kyle Kadmiev is going to be born May 26, 1997. He's going to be born this day, and then 10 years later, in 2007, he's going to have this great summer, right? He's going to learn how to sail. He's going to learn the, the, the lemon or decoding trick, or whatever, right? He's going to go to all these different churches, learn a church song, but then he's going to put his faith and trust on my son. So God, I believe, is thinking in heaven throughout eternity. Eternity passed before I even came into, it, in, into an existence. I think he saw the same thing with Samson. Samson is going to be this guy. I'm going to give, throw Israel a bone here, and hopefully he does the right thing. And we're going to see that he doesn't. And that brings us to Roman numeral number two. When Samson goes against God, against God, Look at Judges 14 and 1 through 4. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, now therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there, ne- is there never a woman among the daughters of, the, of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. And he, and he saw an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So he wasn't supposed to marry outside of, of the camp of Israel. And he goes and he sins against God. And in our lives, right, we're saved, we put our trust on Christ. What ends up happening is, right, we eventually sin especially if you're a new Christian, it's kind of like, what do I do now? You know, I, I sinned. I remember, you know, when I was getting right with God, I sinned. And I felt terrible. And kind of, how do you overcome that? But I, I look around into the crowd tonight, and I think everyone here is, is saved, or a Christian, right? You know the story of Samson. And really the reality is, we're kind of, if not all of us, most of us, whoever, we're, we're, we're past that. We get to the point, it's scary for me, hopefully it's scared you guys, we get callous. We could just kind of sin and go, well... I just kind of glance over it and look past it. And we see here, specifically, with Samson here, and, and if you get nothing out of what I say, maybe 
Daniel has said. I think I got a lot out of what he said. Um, just think of this. Before Samson ever failed publicly, he failed privately. And it's a huge problem. And, it, and this, God, the Lord uh, convicted me in this in uh, pre- preparation for this. If we can't go have an accountability partner for little things, how can we go to someone with a big thing? For example, if I can't go to a brother in Christ and humble myself and say, you know what, I didn't read my Bible on Wednesday this week. A lot of us, I, I think I'm way too prideful to admit that, to say that to somebody, right? And maybe you guys are different, maybe you're the same way. But we won't go and tell that to someone, or we won't go and tell it to someone, hey, I'm having a weak walk with God right now. I wish it was stronger. Like most of us, I mean, most of my life at least, I've never said that to somebody. I think it would be a huge help if I went to somebody with little things, little baby things like that. I you know, look at that before they get out of control. We're going to see in Samson's life, they really got out of control very fast for him. And right, we get saved, we sin against God, and we brush it off and go, well, it's just a small sin. Like, it doesn't really matter. But before you ever fail publicly, you're going to fail privately. And you have to catch yourself in those private moments and say, well, I get time out, like it's, it has to stop here. Even if it's just missing a day of Bible reading, missing your day uh, of talking to God and having an intimate walk with him, and just little things like that, get in the habit of having someone in the church, whether they come to me and say, hey, Brother Kyle, I want that to be that person, I'll text you of this or that. We have to get used and really develop a culture of being a church and being a family, at least, I mean, I say you, I'm talking to myself as well, where we go to people in these little things before they get out of control. And we see this, how he goes against God. And then right after, look at Judges 14, 5, 5 through 6, the Bible says this. Right after this happens, he goes and marries someone. The next verses says, Then went Samson down his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. So even though he's sinning and he sins afterwards, the Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. God's still with him. And as Christians, right, I could sin and sin. And yes, it breaks the fellowship I have with the Father, but it doesn't remove my salvation. And God is, the Holy Spirit still lives with him. Not to be hindering the work of the Holy Spirit, I could be hindering the work of God. I could be hindering my I am hindering a relationship with God Almighty. But we see here that God, God is still with us, and he could still use us. And it's really, it's about this, this cycle that Samson was in and that we find ourselves in. You get saved, right? I keep repeating. You get saved. You put your trust on Christ, then you sin, it gets callous, and these small things, things start to get out of, out of control. And God still uses us, but then we sin again without having dealt with that little sin, right? And so we have this little, you know, so we think it's like, oh, it's okay. Like, God, like, I don't need to really go back to that, or even forget about it, because to us, it's so little. But remember, it's still put Jesus on the cross, no matter how little of a sin that you think it is. And when we don't deal with that, it becomes kind of like an, an overflow in a negative way that we're going to keep living our life, and eventually it'll get out of control, whether it be music convictions, whether it be whatever it wants to be. I know I went to Bible college with this with a man when I was um, in Michigan, and he was you know, on a tour group, uh, singing, doing all this great stuff. And I mean, we were 
carpooling to work, and we talked about, you know, how Brother Daniel, right, talks. If he's ever talked to you, he just talks the Bible. He was very similar to that, very similar. He was outgoing. And I got a call probably during COVID from another friend that I went to, you know, to school with. And he was like, hey, do you know how this guy's doing, blah, blah. And we're talking about him. And he's like, well, pray for him because he, he called up. And he called me up and he said that he now thinks it's okay to acceptable to, to socially drink alcohol with his friends and everything. And it really was like, wow, that's terrible. I remember thinking in the dorms that, I mean, very, very minutely, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't showing up for his bus calling, very here and there. And then very, he started to change his music convictions. And it wasn't like anything terrible. It was maybe a, a harder beat and like a Christian song. I didn't think anything of it. But then we all had to just leave over to different ways. And he got away from the college, got away from doing that. And what happened? His little sins, I really didn't think of, I don't think he thought of, that weren't dealt with, that he didn't talk to anybody about. These little things, man, it just blew up right in front of his face. And now I don't really don't know where he is, to have, where he is today. Uh, I don't, he's not serving the Lord as he once did. And that happens when our little sins, in our eyes, get blown out of proportion. And then eventually, if you are saved, it'll bring this about. Look at point number three. Ashamed. Ashamed. Look at Judges uh, 15, 1 through 6. We keep seeing the progression of Samson's life. The Bible says this. But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of the wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid. And he said, I will go into my wife, into the chamber. For her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do... Uh, them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between the two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire and let him go into the standing of corn of the Philistines and burnt up both of the stocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards, vine, vineyards and olives, and the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered Samson, the son-in-law of Timnite, because he had taken his wife and and given her to his companion. And, and this is just tragic what ends up happening in Samson's life, the next uh, sentence. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. Right, it's terrible. I mean, now we really see, right, Samson's doing little things, his private life gets destroyed, doesn't, really, doesn't say anything. And, and we see, again, progression. Now things really get blown up there. And now this is publicly, he starts, I think, he starts to look at this thing, like, wow, it's not just affecting him in private. He's not just doing things himself to go against God, marrying out of Israel. But now it's, it's blowing up. It's getting out. I mean, it really, it really is. And now he's lost his, his wife and his father-in-law, who he shouldn't even be in a relationship with. And that, I mean, now it's, it's really bad for him. Like I said before, when I was 10 years old, I, I think about this all the time. This is one of the motivating factors why I keep going in the Christian life is my testimony. It should be your. Everyone here has a different testimony, right? We all have came to Christ a different way, or maybe it's a similar way, but it's all unique stories. And yet we're all in this room today, and it's all a different story, and we've all come together today, right? When I was, and there's just things about my walk with God that I'll never forget. When I was uh, 15 years old, I think it was like January or February, I remember this kid in the lunch line, 
His name was Alex. Never forget his name. After all these years, probably like eight, nine years ago plus, uh, he said he tapped me in the back in the lunch line and asked me. He was like, "Hey, Kyle." Now remember, I was I was saved at ten years old. He goes, "Hey, Kyle, like, do you believe in God?" I was like, "Well, I think there's a higher power. I really don't believe in God." Like, I was like, "Ah, there's something out there," but I didn't really know. I wasn't growing in the right place, right? I wasn't, and I didn't really. And I, and honestly, I was upset because I'd pray things and God wasn't answering. So I was like, "Look, then God's not real." That, that's where I was at in life. Within one month, I met Autumn, my wife. Within three months, I came to White Oak for the first time since I was 10 years old. And I think within, shortly after that time, I think within a year, I was coming every Sunday. Within two years, I think I got, I would come Sunday morning, Sunday night, I think three years after that or so, and I'm getting baptized, I started tithing. And then, that third year, which is 2016, I am going out to Bible college. And I'm not saying, and, and so what happened to me is, God was still with me all those years. Right? Those, five, those five, six years from I was getting saved to when I got put back right with God. God was still with me. He was still with me. And, of course, I'm not better than Samson. If I was in his position, I have no clue what I would have done. But a big difference to a lot of our testimonies, why we're here tonight on a Sunday night, a big difference between us and, and people who have gone away from church is that when we get thrown in the fire or something happens in our life, instead of getting angry, getting upset, we humble, humble ourselves before God. And that, that's like, kind of like the, the key that unlocks uh, God. When something goes wrong in your life, right? Like me, like I was so low and so, in my faith, I was so low. But then here comes God and brings me a wife in that time. Uh, a girlfriend, but and then he gives me an opportunity, and as soon as I walked back to this church, I was like, wow, that's where I made that decision. I always called it, oh, that's, that's where I made that decision. I didn't know any terminology. I didn't know, you know, so, you know, you know, I got saved, I got washed by the blue. I didn't know any of these phrases. I just knew, oh, that's where I made the decision. I called out to God, and, and, and I didn't really know any of these terms. But as soon as I walked through those doors, I was like, oh my goodness, like, that's the, that was that church. And, uh, and again, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that story. I'll never forget all those years leading up to that. And what was the difference? Well, I could have came here and said, God, you're not answering my prayers. Could have came here and said, yeah, I made that decision. What does it matter to me now? My life is terrible. I, you know, I don't have a relationship with you. I could have said that. I could have just walked out and said, Autumn, I'm done with you. I don't want to go to church here. That just reminds me of like, how unreal God is. But in my little, you know, I was like 15, 16 years old, in that spot, I decided, you know, I, I wanted to know, and I, I had faith. And I didn't get angry or disgruntled at God. Instead, I chose to move closer to God. And when we get in this cycle, and hopefully when your private life gets destroyed, your public life gets destroyed, hopefully there's something in you that says, okay, now, like, I have to stop now because now people are looking at me and I, I have to stop what I'm doing. Hopefully that happens to you. And if not, this is <laughs> what will happen to you is what happened to Samson. There's something very, very similar. And the last point I have for you guys tonight is this, acceptance, acceptance. Look at uh, Judges 16, and then it's actually going to be verses 20 through 30. So just one verse before it says in the outline. And now what has just happened to Samson, Delilah has kind of came to him. Now his hair, which he had all the, I think, had all the strength from, has been cut off, right? And, and he doesn't understand that God isn't with him. And that's exactly where we meet Samson, right in these verses. So now he's been, through his, so we see the progression of his life. It's been destroyed, and now this is kind of the last straw in his life. 
and his strength has just been taken from him. This is where we meet Samson right here. The Bible says this, and this is Delilah. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their god and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy, and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of that prison house. And he made them sport, and they, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad, held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon... The house standeth. Let's pause right there real quick before we finish the reason. When you're down in your, in your sin, right, and, and as, again, I say you're talking to me, hopefully, right, let's say you've completely failed and everything and everything's going, not going your way, hopefully you're where Samson is. You, you can at least reach out to somebody and say, hey, just put my hands on the pillars. Could you just, I just need like a little resemblance of hope. Maybe you haven't been to church. Maybe you're listening on live stream or whatever. You haven't been to church in months. And there's, you need some little bit of hope. I hope the Holy Spirit God is, you haven't shut him out too far, where at least you can go to someone, you can text me, you can text the pastor, whoever, your brother or sister in Christ, and hopefully you can say, hey, can you just bring me to the pillar? Can you just bring me to church? Could you just come to my house and pray with me? I don't even feel like talking to God. I don't even feel like doing it, but could you at least pray for me? Hey, I've been dealing with this. I understand. And humble yourself, I mean, just enough, just a little bit, just a little bit, so that you can progress and get back to God. I, I, I hope that in my life, really, I hope if I ever get to a point where I'm really far away from God, that I can at least have something in me that says, okay, I can get to this person, I, whether it's a pastor, a deacon, whoever, just a person in the church, just a friend you have that you know is walking with God. I really hope I can get to that point. If I'm ever in that situation where I can say, hey, hey man, look, I've messed up here, here, and here. I haven't been admitting it to anybody. My private life got destroyed. My public life has now been destroyed. I have nothing left. Could you, could you just bring me to, to the pillar? Could you just do that for me? I, I really hope, remember that situation, if maybe someone here is, because a lot of times in our Christian life, we hide behind right, a nice suit coat. We hide behind, not pews anymore, but anyway, I hide behind chairs, right? But we hide behind this facade on Sunday morning. Then Monday through Saturday, our life is terrible, it's in shambles, and it's going down. And it becomes public, and now we really don't want to talk to people. And now we have to humble ourselves like Samson, where you can't see, have no strength, have nothing. And now we're really hobbling around and saying, hey, look, I should have came to you before. Can you come to me now? Right. And we keep reading. And he says, that may lean upon them. And now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee. Strengthen me, I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand, and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords, and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. 
So we see, he calls out to God in that spot that he was in. And God came and helped him. Now, it looks like he was here for selfish reasons. He goes, I want to be avenged for them making me blind and poking out my eyes. And God's, I can only imagine that God looked at him and said, well, that was an awesome prayer because I, I would love to use you to bring glory back to my name. You see, in our sin, God can still use us because there's still people who are lost and dying and going to hell. And if we have the information, God isn't just going to send that person, not give them the information, not allow them to get saved because you're not walking with him. So even if you're disgruntled, whatever, it's happened to me. I hand someone a gospel tract because, whatever, just to do it, just because just I may have something to tell someone that I did this week so I seem spiritual, right? And I'll do that. That person gets up getting saved. And you think God's not going to allow it to happen even though I'm not walking with him? Of course not. And we see if we reach out to God and say, hey, hey man, can you meet me to the pillar? All you have to do, God is always, remember this, God is always just one prayer away. Right? Isn't he? I have one more quick, quick illustration, and we'll go eat ice cream, okay? I know, I know, I'm looking forward to it. We're going really quick. There's really the point of this whole sermon and everything like that. I, st- I recently started running again. I ran track in high school about eight years ago. And a big reason for this, my mom runs, you know, Pastor Mike Rivera, he was running, and uh, he was like, oh, I have to run two miles for, like, the military or something. I was like, oh, that's easy. And I kept talking about it. I felt bad talking about it and, like, not actually doing it, right? And I don't want to be that guy. So I went up and I did it and I started running. But a huge motivating factor is if you coming from Holly Lane, if you know anything about Stratford, coming from Trumbull to Stratford, you see signs up, you know, you know, 25 miles an hour, whatever it is. There's a sign that says 2014 Boys Vanell, a Boys Track Champions, right? You see that sign? So I went to Stratford High, not Vanell, Crosstown Rivals and everything. And what ended up happening is that year, my, four, my relay team was faster than their relay team. And if you get, I'm pretty sure, I think it's what it was, if you get first at states, in whatever event, you go like all state, or something to that effect happens, your name gets, it's, over, it's like a big deal. I was going through stuff in my life at that time, and I completely, like, it came to the state championship day, I was like mad at the world, I was angry at people, and I just didn't, I didn't tell anybody, I just didn't show up. I just didn't go. Like, we were projected to go all state, and I just said, nah, I'm not doing that, right? Like, I was just mad, different things are going on. I said, that's not going to happen, blew them off completely. The next day, I was expecting, right, you guys would, you, now, me going to school the next day, you'd think I'd get yelled at, right? I mean, people would just put me up against lockers, like, why could you do that to us, right? No one said a thing to me. They all just looked at me. And I, I really won't forget the look of my coach, the look at the players. A lot of them, the kind of last time I ever talked to them was, was around that time. Never forget the look they gave me, just disappointment. And, and I knew, you know, you look, they gave me that look, right? I just knew. They didn't have to say anything to me. And really, this whole sermon is about is maybe sitting there saying, well, I'm saved. I can sin as much as I want. But if you're not careful, what's going to happen is maybe you'll die early, like Samson. What's going to end up happening is you'll be before God. And I do not want anyone here or me to have God look at you with that same look that my track team gave me. I don't want that look from God the Father. I don't want that look to say, hey, you were sinning. You never talked to anyone about it. You lived your life out. Yeah, sure, you went to church on Sunday. I had all these plans for you, but you just kept sinning. And I was there for you. I kept using you here and there because I didn't want people to die and go to hell because I didn't want this or that to happen. But that look, if I get that look from God, it would be terrible. If you guys do, I don't want to have that look from God when I get to heaven. Just disappoint. I don't want to have God be like, look, you could have done this, this, or that, but instead you chose sin over me. So if nothing else you get from that sermon, go to people. Go to people when you're failing. So you're not before God. And he just goes, 
Come on, man. Like, what are you doing? I don't want that. 